You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Podcasting is by Real Smart Media. Our podcasts are available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. This podcast features a panel from the Theorising Zombieism Conference, which took place at the UCD Humanities Institute on the 25th to the 27th of July, 2019. The panel featured writers Scott Kenamore and Sarah Davis-Goff, and was chaired by Dr. Scott Eric Hamilton from UCD. Hello. Um, so what I'm going to do, I have a, uh, a presentation that is sort of like my library talk presentation when a library says, please come give a talk. I've realized that you can't just talk about what's on the the top of your head. So um, I'm I'm not going to give the library talk, but I'm going to sort of use it to uh, introduce myself and say who I am and how I got interested in zombies and tell that story. And then I'm going to talk about uh, sort of how zombies are are useful or interesting to me as as a fiction writer and the the kinds of horror I think it's fun to use zombies uh, uh, to conjure. And and to do this, I'll I'll sort of cite people who are are smarter than me, uh, but who I believe academics will be familiar with, sort of to do that just to sort of uh, set up who I am for the conversation, and then uh, we'll um, talk to Scott and Sarah. Uh, so um, the, the real beginning of the story is I grew up with a mother who was a social worker and a therapist who loved self-help books. So beginning from when I could read, when I had a problem, if I got beat up on the playground or the girl I liked didn't like me back or something, I'd get like a, a talking to and then like a self-help book. So by the time I reached adulthood, I had read a lot of uh, self-help books, and I thought, gosh, these are, these are kind of risible. I, I kind of want to make fun of these, and I have this streak in me. Uh, meanwhile, I, I, I studied writing. I, I love horror. I have a shirt on, but I have an armful of H.P. Lovecraft tattoos. He's my big hero. Uh, and I, I, was, I, would, I would write um, horror stories that would get published, um, sort of like was thinking about what kind of uh, book I would like to do. And a friend of mine said, you know, you, you love zombies. You're so into zombies. Like, do something with that and, and you know, this self-help thing you always talk about. So uh, my first book, The Zen of Zombie, is published in 2007. And it's, it's a self-help book parody about how to make your life better by being like a zombie. And people, you know, you hear about all the, the bad things about zombies and they, they can't read, they can't cooperate. But I think there's, there's for me, there was room to consider, well, look at all like, the good things they do. Like, they, they don't have existential doubt. They don't wonder what they want. Right? They, know, they know exactly what they want. They don't hesitate. They don't doubt themselves. They go after what they want, right? They, they're not sexist. They're not racist. They're not bigoted in any way. They accept all other zombies. They eat all humans equally. You know, I, so I, I began to cultivate this, you know, could we find things in zombies that are worth emulating? I thought it was funny. Uh, some people seem to think it was funny, too. So I did a whole sort of series along the top row, just like funny zombie, zombie humor books. Um, and then uh, a movie came out called Dead Snow, um, and my, my publisher asked me, could you do something with that? And I said, well, yes, but I, I don't want to do zombie Nazis, literally, because that has already been done. But I'm sort of like like the pro-zombie guy, and at this point, after the first four books, I would be at panels or conversations with writers who all would, t- would talk about like zombie killing, how zombies were so terrible, and I was always like the, the, the counterpoint. of like, well, actually, zombies are excellent, and we need to be more like them. So I was like, well, if, if I did zombies versus Nazis, then uh, people would finally join me in cheering for the zombies. This would be a way <laughs> to win. So I, I had a plot about uh, uh, German officers during World War II go to Haiti to try to find a way to weaponize zombie-making technology, and it doesn't go well, and they get eaten. Um, and then uh, after that, I, I wrote uh, the book that I'm probably uh, best known for, uh, Zombie Ohio, uh, which is actually about a, uh, a college professor who becomes a zombie. And the, the idea for that, that came to me really from, um, I would get insomnia when I lived out in Iowa, and I would watch uh, Turner Classic Movies all night, the cable network, and I really got into like film noir films. And uh, one of my favorites is, is called DOA, and it, I think it's from like the late 30s, early 40s, but it, it begins with a guy walks into a, an old-timey police station in New York City, and he says, like, I'm here to report a murder. And the cop says, yeah, whose? And he says, mine. And the, the plot, you quickly realize, is that he's been poisoned by, like, like radium or something. And has re- a doctor has told him, well, you have 18 hours to live. And you'll suddenly drop dead in 18 hours. And he's realized, well, someone, one of my many enemies has poisoned me. So now I have 
an 18-hour countdown to, dis to solve my own murder before I die. So uh, I like the idea of like a sentient zombie doing that sort of thing. And I also had been thinking about, um, you know, people talk about the, the zombie viruses and how zombies work. And so many people who are, study zombies are into like uh, uh, studying viruses. Uh, and and uh, you learn about how uh, with some viruses, like um, uh, examples always HIV disease, one in every like 50,000 people who get HIV, they have HIV, they can give it to other people, but they never get sick. They just never show any symptoms. And I thought, well, what if there is like a zombie virus like that, where one out of every 50,000 zombies just happens, like he still kind of loses most of his memory, but he can like talk and function and he, he you know, he wants to eat people, but he kind of can control it. So mostly his, his personality is still there. So my, my, my hero in this is a guy who uh, wakes up uh, uh, in, in a zombie outbreak, chaos is going on, and he's, he's died in a car accident and come back, but then he gradually realized, oh, the, the brake lines to my, my car were cut. This was murder. So who, who would have wanted to kill me? So he has to spend his zombie um, afterlife doing that. Um, the next novel I wrote was uh, Zombie Illinois. I'm, I'm from Chicago, uh, and I, I've worked uh, for many years in like community development in Chicago, so you get to know like local politics and political scandals and, and corruption and stuff like that. So uh, I, I wanted with, with Zombie Illinois to sort of imagine what a zombie attack would be like on the city where I live with, with just great political corruption. So the, the idea behind that book, the sort of setup is um, the mayor of Chicago, uh, then Rahm Emanuel, has, has the bad luck to be visiting a cemetery right when the zombie outbreak happens. And of course, being Chicago, it has to be the zombie that Al Capone is the closest to <laughs> the mayor's brain. And it's on live TV. And then sort of just when the power goes out, we see that the mayor is dead. So in Chicago, the real law is there's if the mayor dies in office, suddenly there's a vice mayor who's usually one of the city council people. And this, the vice mayor is promoted. But then if the vice mayor dies, then the city council just elects the new mayor. So the idea would be the city council is so corrupt. They're like, we can just kill the vice mayor, make it look like a zombie did it. Then we can take power and vote in our person. So my hero, uh, one of my heroes is the daughter of the vice mayor who realizes I've got a, my dad is now has every zombie trying to kill him and every member of the city council trying to kill him. So I've got to help my dad survive the zombie outbreak. Um, and then uh, I, I sort of was enjoying the, um, the, the, the being able to do political satire or with Zombie Illinois. And I, one of the previous speakers today, uh, you know, talked recently about how there is that sort of ironic distance you can achieve with zombies. How if, if you criticize someone or lampoon someone with zombies, that's frequently, but that's just zombies. That's nonsense. That, that couldn't be serious. And some of my um, uh, uh, satirizations of like corrupt aldermen I knew, uh, city council people in Chicago were like, very, very pointed and specific. And once, once I had someone come up to me at a, at a book signing I did and say, like, I'm impressed you're still alive. <laughs> like, I'm impressed no one has taken a hit out on you. I, I, I laughed, but also it's, it's you know, uh, I, I think people see what well, it's, it's a they made fun of me in a zombie book. What's that? And there's this like safety I have enjoyed. Um, so I, Zombie Indiana was also a, a political uh, parody about the state where I grew up, and it was sort of a, a political satire, sort of more in the other direction, making fun of uh, Mitch Daniels, who was is the governor there, who I thought was like a pretty corrupt guy. He's now the president of Purdue University, you know, <laughs> Purdue University. But so when the book came out, I, I sent a copy to Mitch and I wrote him a letter as a dear Governor Daniels. This book would literally not have been possible without your efforts over the last eight years. <laughs> and he wrote me back the nicest letter. And I thought, no one will believe that he wrote me back. So I, I scanned it and put it on my blog so you can see Mitch's handwritten letter uh, to me. And my, my most recent uh, zombie book is, uh, this came out in 2017, Zombie Chief, Eater of the Free World. So I, I, with this, obviously, it's more political satire, but I liked... To imagine, could there be a, a political leader whose actions are so absurd that actually it is because of a secret zombie agenda, and you a, a zombie secretly running for president? So, for example, he wants a, a large southern border wall to keep the delicious humans in during the outbreak, and he's against national health care because it's easier to catch humans when they have homemade wheelchairs and crutches. And, and, and what if he's known as, as a groper and grabber of women who says he sleeps with porn stars to conceal the fact that? He has no blood pressure at all. <laughs> Two messes is not in the, in the cards. So it's that sort of um, uh, political sort of humor. And then I, I write a few other uh, horror, and I, sometimes I do Minecraft books because I like money, uh, shameful things like that. Um, 
So I'm going to go through this, this presentation I, I usually go through, just sort of talking about the histories of zombies. But someone mentioned Return of the Living Dead, so I've got to stop here because I, I, this is my favorite zombie film. I love it so much. And if, if you are listening to a guy who says like he, he loves the humor part of zombies, he comes to zombies from that, I think I, I have to stop and say, like, this film just had such a positive uh, uh, impact on me, not necessarily for the reasons on the slide, but uh, uh, just because when I watch this film, it is, is someone uh, sort of bringing uh, delight and fancifulness and fun with, uh, with zombies, which I think is so great. But it's also very controversial around other zombie writers. So like there's a YouTube clip of me at some Comic-Con with Max Brooks where he's just like ripping me. He's like, Kenamore, you're insane. This is a horrible <laughs> film. Because many zombie writers really like um, the, the uh, sort of serious horror. Yeah, we really need to talk about the best way to make barricades in this. Because, um, and I, I sort of, um, I respect Max a lot. Uh, but I, 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 just, I have a, a, a different uh, perspective on, on where, what attracts me uh, to zombies. So I'm, I'm going to just skip through the sort of history part of the presentation that I usually do at libraries. But I'm going to uh, stop here uh, and just talk uh, about sort of how zombies work for me as a writer. Because maybe I can bring a different perspective uh, than some of the people who've spoken here. Just because I am, I am trying to use zombies to, to entertain people and, and to scare myself, right? And so when I think about what, what is going on when I read a zombie story, why am I scared, what, what, is, what is happening psychologically? So there, there are a few thinkers that have really, um, really sort of struck home with me uh, when it comes to this. And, and the first is obviously uh, Sigmund Freud's uh, The Uncanny, because this is the first book I've ever read, it's the first historically, that sort of seriously asks, why are things scary above and beyond their ability to hurt me? Right? We know why a tiger is scary, we know why a psycho killer with a knife is scary, but why, why is a hovering ghost scary? Why is that really realistic looking doll creeping me out? It's just a doll, but I'm really creeped out. Why am I creeped out? And uh, so Freud had this idea that uh, our brains are, uh, amongst other things, classification machines. And some of the most important classifications are that thing is alive, that thing is not alive. That thing can hurt me, that thing can't hurt me. And I think one of the wonderful things that uh, zombies do is, is they force us to go back and forth in the classification. Is that alive or is that not alive? Because it sure looks like it's alive, but it can't be alive because he died last week, but he's alive. What's going on, right? And so is, is it sentient or not sentient? Is it my brother or is it not my brother? And I was reading um, Sarah's book, and there's this wonderful passage. No, uh, no spoilers, but the um, main character says, uh, I pull back just as her jaws crash together. I feel them in my ear. I feel the warmth, breath, and exhalation just in my neck. I step back away from the bed, trip over my feet, and land hard on my ass. I try hard to push myself back towards the floor. I can't get them to grip. My mother is not my mother. So there's that. She's my mother. She's not your mother now. But that's my mother. She's not my mother. And so it's, it's this like back and forth classification that I think uh, is really effective uh, if you're a horror writer. And, and you see this in lots and lots of uh, uh, zombie works. Um, uh, Foucault, I think, I'm, like, I'm not going to tell a room full of PhDs anything you don't know about Foucault, but I think Foucault builds on, builds on this, uh, especially when it comes to, to sexuality. And um, something interesting to me is that um, someone before today sort of leveled the charge of, like, well, zombies are, are low uh, entertainment, low culture often. And look at all the sex in zombie films. This is because sex is low culture also, so shouldn't they go together? But what's interesting to me is uh, that I think zombies are... A, a kind of monster that you ought to be able to escape pretty easily, especially so, slow zombies. Like, the zombie is, like, 100 yards away from me. It's, it's walking very slowly. It can't read. It can't communicate. I ought to be able to get away from this thing. But it is, time and again in zombie stories, my own moral failings that will undo me. It will be my own lust or greed or anger or my, my own vices. So I, I think that, uh, to me, there's a lot of sex in zombie movies. Uh, perhaps because sex is something that makes us make bad decisions sometimes. And in zombie movies, these decisions can be, can be of course, fatal. So um, just to wrap up with a couple other uh, thinkers who I think have interesting things to say. So uh, you've got to talk about uh, Julia Christie, if I'm saying her name right. Um, I, you know, she has this idea of objection. And Powers of Horror is a very difficult to understand book. But um, she has this recurring idea of disgust comes from the inside of the body and uh, it's disturbing to imagine the inside of the body. Uh, and there are good evolutionary reasons for that. And it's, you should be alarmed if you see the inside. So if you guys can see my guts right now, right, unless this is a convention of surgeons and you're doing a surgery, like, 
what, what happened to Scott? Is there a bear in the room that ripped him open? Should I be looking for that bear, right? We see guts, alarm. So obviously zombies are that kind of alarm. You see the guts all the time. Um, and then there's a, a contemporary academic I like a lot named uh, Scott Poole, uh, who has this book, Monsters in America, that's pretty good. Um, and he talks about how uh, zombies can be scary because they are the history of, of what we have done, right? And he talks about how Night of Living Dead opens with graves, but they're the graves of Vietnam War soldiers because we can do the Vietnam War, right? Uh, World War Z, there are viruses and weapons because we can create these sort of horrible viruses, right? Uh, we can ignore the suffering and death of others, and we can get old, right? Uh, we, we can want uh, zombies are a, a sign of death, the memento mori uh, for us. And then the, the last academic I'll talk about, because um, I never get to talk to audiences who know who these people are, is I really like Daniel Dennett. Uh, he has this, this book, Breaking the Spell. Um, and, and this, for me, is, is the sort of way zombies get into like cosmic horror and Lovecraft, which is really interesting to me, uh, which is like, uh, what do zombies want? Like, do, do they want to eat my brain the way I want something? Like, like what, what is motivating them? Maybe they just do. And, and we have this way, according to Dennett, of assigning intentionality to things because that's very effective. So we, if we say, well, water wants to flow downhill, then that lets ancient Romans build wonderful irrigation systems. But really, water doesn't want anything. Water just flows downhill, right? We can trick a flower into thinking it's spring by holding it near a heat source. We can see the inside of the flower. The flower doesn't really think it's spring. The flower just opens. So maybe what zombies do, and maybe this is the scary thing about them, is there is no meaning. They're part of the, the, the chorus of, of terrifying cosmic meaninglessness, and, and they're just going to eat you because that's just what they do. So, so that's, that's a peek inside my brain, and I'll just I'll leave it there with zombies reflecting who we are. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. It's very interesting. And if, if we're kind of having this, this conversation earlier is that we, you know, we love our zombie narratives here. And you guys are the curators of that. So please come and talk to us all the time because it's, it, we kind of a, a look at the, at the source. Um, so most people were here yesterday and Deirdre kind of covered the, the plot of your book. I wish I'd been there. I might have learned something. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good talk. But, you know, so uh, do you want to... Do a quick uh, recap of the plot? or Sure, sure. So. I mean, I think a sort of question you ask yourself after you've written a novel is, why the hell did I just do that? And it would have been really nice to have that elucidated for me by Deirdre. But um, basically what happens is um, it, there's a teenager living off the west coast of Ireland um, in an imagined futuristic apocalyptic um, world. And um, she lives in a place called Slawn Beg, which means little goodbye, essentially. Um, she only knows two people in the world, her mother and her aunt. Um, I'm not including the family dog here. Um, essentially, something terrible happens to her mother. Um, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that she dies when Orpen is quite young. Um, so that leaves her to the care of Maeve, her aunt, um, who was actually more realistically her mother's lover. Um, and when Maeve also succumbs to, um, to the sort of an, an infection by a monster, Orpen has to make a decision to go out and sort of try and see some of the world or just to accept that she will live and die on this island. Um, and she makes the decision to sort of go out and seek her fortune. So I just, I have some questions that I'll pose to you guys and then we'll open it up if that works. Um, place for both of you seems very important in both of your, your corpus in your book. Um, and, you know, most apocalypse narratives are in big cities on the coasts or, you know, in one of those places. What is it about the heartland in America and the west coast of Ireland that you thought was ready or needed to be exposed to the zombie and, the zombie, and zombieism itself? What, I mean, you, you could have picked anywhere. Why did you pick there, and what did you see that you thought needed to be exposed through so, um, the zombie, infected with the zombie virus? Well, for me, um, I think we probably took really different approaches here, but um, f there hasn't been much of a history of um, you know zombie writing in Ireland, but we do have a bit of a history of non-stationary cadavers, particularly if you're looking at like you know be plays of Beckett. Um, 
we have, um, I published a writer called Mike McCormick, um, who um, wrote a book called Solar Bones about a, I wouldn't necessarily, it's more of a ghost than a zombie, but it's another sort of non-stationary cadaver who is, you know, um, wandering around the kitchen thinking about his life and trying to, you know, connect with the people around him again. Um, and uh, Mike, the writer, is very interesting on the concept of zombies, and he reckons that Ireland hasn't had much of a history in sort of the more contemporary schlocky kind of zombies that we've largely been talking about today because we've had we, we had something like a zombie apocalypse during the famine and it's still not an easy thing for Irish people to talk about we had you know the desperate ravening hordes um you know wandering the country trying desperately for something to eat and that's you know like a, a very sort of living part of our history I think and I think something that people are really hesitant to touch not me um I just went straight for the sort of zombie horror schlock but to me um there is something very horrifying about being um alone in the country in a wilderness um, and with, with sort of nothing around you. And, uh, yeah, that's what I always kind of imagine, what I imagined trying to escape a zombie horde. I, I just uh, set the, my stories where I set them because those were places I'd lived for at least four or five years each, so I felt qualified to talk about them. And I, I write from a place of, like, contempt for others, especially those in power. <laughs> and I, I, those are places where I have contempt for people. <laughs> I don't, there might be people like in Utah I would feel, but I've, I've never really lived there, so I don't know them yet. So because it's hard to get your books here, which I was talking to you about, and I could get Zombie in Chief and Zombie Indiana. You, you were talking about contempt, and the one thing that is the character that's contemptible in that is the, the governor. Could you kind of talk about... Sure. Well, so I, I think uh, zombie stories, first of all, are interesting because they are kind of a, uh, a stress test, like a national disaster. Like most zombie stories are very uh, impersonal. Like something like like uh, uh, Dracula. Like it's a very personal. It's like I, Dracula, invite you, Jonathan Harker, to my castle, and we're going to have red wine and bisexuality and this very personal <laughs> sort of. But um, it's it's different with zombies. Zombies are are everywhere, and also zombies are are impersonal. They don't particularly hate you. You're just closest, and they're hungry. Uh, so I, I think they are that sort of stress test, and I I think that. Um, you know, uh, every, every even very uh, corrupt governments uh, can seem to be doing fine when, like, the, everyone's making money, the economy's good, there's no national disaster, there's no social disaster, but it's the moment there is a crisis, then I think we see, do we have actual leaders, have we invested in infrastructure to um, help, and, and so I... I um, I live now in Illinois, and right next to Illinois is, is Indiana, which Zombie Indiana is about. I grew up there, and uh, Mitch Daniels, the, the governor I'm sort of making fun of, uh, was, is definitely like that sort of uh, particularly American low, small government type of guy. And I thought that, well, you know, right now we're lucky we've had a booming economy since 2008, but the moment things get tough, you, you have uh, done away with the, the kind of infrastructure that would be needed to, to help people in, in a disaster under the guise of, like, good old American gumption and personal uh, ability will get everyone through, and I don't believe that's true. And so impacting an area with a national disaster in a work of fiction, I think, is a way of playing out the test and saying, here is why I think we are not set up for success based on what you have done. Um, so maybe that answers. So does that does something like that figure in your book as well? Because you have... I mean, and to, to kind of go off what you, you just said, if you've never been out to the Irish country at night, it's scary. Like, there's no lights. It's all overgrown. I mean, if, if people stopped trimming, this place is just overgrown with, with stuff. So it is kind of a creepy place. Um, but, that, but it's also, I, I got the sense your book has that post-apocalyptic kind of desolation mm -hmm. of the, the population is gone and it's been decimated. Is there something similar that you were trying to kind of put through its paces or put into that crisis situation to stress about Ireland yeah. now? Yeah, yeah, I think you, you essentially write to kind of wonder about things. Um, and for me, zombies are interesting, not just sort of in and of themselves. They're not just fun to talk about. But as a writer, they're useful for the stresses that they put on um, not just um, systems, but communities particularly. Um, if your if um, villain is a zombie... on. Uh, one great thing you get from that is your um, heroes get to remain pristine in a way because to kill a zombie is to, in a way, put someone out of their misery. And so you don't have to um, make your characters um, 
they might feel conflicted about that, but the reader probably doesn't. Um, and I think in many zombie books, the real, actually, and, and in life, um, the real enemy is community and when community goes bad. And the fun thing about having sort of, you know, ravening hordes at the city gates is the ravening hordes aren't really the problem. It's the community and how they react to that and how it kind of implodes upon itself. That I, I find that really interesting. Because in your book, you have the Scrake, which I'd like you to talk about that name in a minute, but it seems like for the most of the book, they're not really around. They're mm-hmm. there. They're this, this kind of ethereal kind of tension, but it, they don't really seem to be like the bad guy mm-hmm. in your book, which, which I really kind of found interesting. It was more about... They're not. The fear is the bad guy. The really. fear that, that, that Orpen had and, and, yeah. and the, the fear that drove her for her, her workouts and all that kind of stuff. But so, you know, that's... I just wondered if you, if you talk about that kind of decision to make it the fear but not have the physical like like you said the hordes outside you know it's not like she sees from her island the shores lined with scrakes drooling on themselves to eat her yeah they're just not really around yeah not for the first while um and in fact orpin doesn't even meet um a scrake which is what i call my zombies um until she's like old enough to kind of try and handle one essentially so you know there's a lot of her life where she kind of wonders are her um, are her parents just bonkers and have been, you know, feeding her absolute nonsense? I mean, she doesn't really know why the world is the way it is. Um, and I think that's kind of fun to play with. Like, I'm interested in how communities implode under stressful situations, but also how that carries on then through generations. Um, like, she is still suffering the trauma of um, broken communities. Um, and so on the one hand, you know, she's isolated, she's excluded, she's lonely. Um, and that's a, I don't know, that's sort of a fun way to, um, to introduce a character because they're so desperate sort of, for sort of human interaction and engagement. They will do literally almost anything to try and sort of go and find it. Um, but I think much as I kind of dig into the sort of the body horror and the, the schlock um, and the kind of, you know, the fun fight scenes and stuff, um, you know, I'm trying to talk about essentially real things like um, I think the sort of decision process that Orpin goes through about whether she should, you know, live and die on this island in relative safety and that's how she should expend whatever years she has left or to go and find something um, possibly bigger that might not even exist and to try and sort of experience some of life. I mean, that is, in a way, that's just a huge part of growing up that we all go through, especially if you're from a rural community. You know, we all start out in the sticks somewhere for the most part, and we have to sort of make a decision about whether we want to stay there, where it's relatively safe, where we know we know how the world works, kind of, um, or to go out and sort of find something new. So, I don't know, for me, zombies are... They're just great at providing the kinds of context that I wanted to talk about, the things I wanted to talk about. You know, um, sir, uh, earlier today, uh, Connor gave a really interesting uh, presentation about uh, uh, the, the, how zombies are used uh, when people invoke, like, uh, workout programs or oh, an app where you run from zombies to get oh, in shape. And I, I thought your book did a really excellent job of, in a very sort of realistic but not overdone way, giving the reader a visceral sense of the way that, like, physical fitness would be a real, like, part of your daily regimen in a realistic way <laughs> for that. Um, Thank you. But also, like, done with, like, love from the mother. Like, like no, you, you have to do this, and, and one day you'll see why. And yeah. I, I knew as I read, I'm going to see why. <laughs> um, but also, I, I, I was, um, in my mind, I compared it a lot to um, your book, to, to uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, if you read that. I thought, this is like The Road, but with some women in it. Yeah, I'm obsessed uh, with The Road. I mean, that is the great zombie novel, really. Yeah, I, I um, was once talking to a, a, a famous zombie writer who said it's it's the best zombie novel without zombies, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's just the zombies are removed. Um, also, um, there's a zombie book called Zone One by Colson Whitehead. I'm not sure if you've read it. Um, yeah, it's so nice to be in a room full of zombie lovers who know what I'm talking about. It's so good, um, and I think, um, yeah, I. I'm still not really sure what he's talking about, except for maybe in some ways the regenerative abilities of capitalism, as opposed to how we usually talk about how, um, you know, zombies are sort of a critique of capitalism, and I just find that kind of inversion really interesting. But, um, yeah, I love them zombie books. I'm also, apart from, someone mentioned earlier that um, zombies and vampires might be kind of flip sides of each other, um, and I really enjoy how... um, you know, zombies might be an iteration of our fear of, you know, of, of the masses. Like, apparently, we're all terrified of immigrants. Um, and um, 
vampires, on the other hand, I would say, are sort of an iteration of our fear of um, wicked characters in authority um, who have power over us that we can't really explain or break down. So um, like, I'm going to um, pivot to vampirism after this pretty quickly. I, I'm, like, I'm mostly kidding, but I can imagine <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> I can imagine that... The, I, I don't know, I have a sort of a slight prediction that the current um, interest in zombies that we're enjoying might slightly um, skew towards vampirism over the coming years. I, 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 hear, I, I, I hear people theorize the, the back and forth between uh, zombies and vampires can be uh, traced to, to the economy and that vampires are sort of like, like a decadent fancy man monster who mm-hmm. like has nice clothes and so when things are doing well, but then when things are, are, times are tough, like zombies just like pop up out of the ground and they're very like blue collar Joe six pack monster. Right. Like they don't care what they look like and they, they don't care that they smell bad and they're missing an arm and I'm just going to eat your, but we're not fancy here. <laughs> and that maybe that somehow. So, so, so pre-crash was Twilight, post-crash is. Yeah. Right. Now yeah. things get better, it'll go back towards vampires. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right, so I kind of wanted to, to talk about Zombie in Chief for a minute. I'm going to plug it because it's it is interesting. Now you, it's a, now it's it's quite obviously a parody of the current sure. guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I know. So, but and it, it was pretty obvious to begin with that, that you were you're doing that. And and Trump, um. He, he, you know, he, he, the comparison to him with a zombie is not really... It's been memed to death, right? There's memes out there. If you just put Trump zombie, you get all the pictures. But I was hoping you'd talk about why you decided to address it so blatantly. I mean, the tycoon, as you call him. He is Trump, but he's not really Trump either. Like, I felt like at the end, you kind of... We're getting away from him. He's, he's smarter than Trump, <laughs> so that's why it's not him. Well, it's, but it's, that, that it's is, interesting, and you've hit upon a, a, a question for I think many political observers now: is is how much is the current president playing a character when he gives a speech, or when he reacts to something, or when he misspeaks, yeah. or uh, you know how much of it is calculated? And I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows for sure. Um, I, I don't use the, the, the T word in my book. I just call the character the tycoon. Uh, but I, I, for, for me, I mean, it, I, was, I was exploring a conundrum with the, the tools that I had, uh, sort of reaching out with, with the, the language that I had to reach out with. And obviously, like, I'm, I'm interested in, in lampooning those in power and sort of teasing things out to a, a ridiculous sort of absurdity at the end. Uh, but, but also, uh, for me, it, it's, just, it's, it's interesting to think you know, what is someone's motivation for doing this, for doing what they do? What is, you know, a zombie's motivation? And as a, I don't know if you find this, but, like, it's interesting to think about motivation because almost every story is the story of someone wanting something and trying to get what they want. And it, it, it sounds like you, you're bringing up a vice with, like, oh, I want sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But you can want to make the world a better place. You can want... Uh, uh, you know, to, to throw the one ring back into Mount Doom. But then there, there is a, a, a challenge to get there. I have to want something, and I have to take a risk to get it, right? It's a very unsatisfying story. If, if I, I want something, oh, I have to put on my hat to get it? Well, <laughs> the book is over. But if I have to risk my life, if I, I, I want a date to the prom, so I have to risk looking silly to win the talent show to get the person to go out with me, uh, then that's sort of a satisfying story. But I'm always thinking about uh, in books and in real life, like what do people want? What what is the satisfying thing for the? What are they What are they going to get out of this behavior? And what does that say about how they look at the world? Uh, so I like I don't have answers, but I'm just always thinking. Do you think about when you're writing what people want? Absolutely, and not just in writing, but as you say in real life. And what worries me, um, and maybe this explains somewhat my interest in zombies, is we so often don't really know what we want, and we don't know how to get it. I think so often we're kind of running on impulse and on pure chemistry. Um, I think um, a kind of attraction and fear of zombies is so much about um, those parts of our bodies that we can't control. Um, and like in a way that seems sort of miraculous, but in a way it's just really horrifying. Um, I think there's a little zombie in all of us. Mm. <laughs> was, I was, as you guys have been talking, I was thinking about um, the, 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 the journalists in, in your book, which I found very interesting. And I was thinking about Deirdre's talk, I get to invoke Deirdre, about 
the men in your book being kind of the ones who caused all the problems, the one in charge. Does, did the zombie in both these cases give you a way to hold these people accountable in some sense? Like even exposing them as zombies, the, the, the reporters, they kind of have this, even to the detriment of their, their, their careers, they decide we have to expose this. So it was the context that kind of made, um, kind of trying to hold somebody accountable. Are you trying to hold somebody accountable as well or, or maybe posing that? Um, yeah, I think so. Not so much in um, Last One's Left Alive, but I guess in what's coming next. Um, it, what comes next is sort of the, the big city answer to sort of orphan small country girl problems. Um, and this city, um, as a lot of us imagine in kind of post-apocalyptic and pre-apocalyptic narratives is super patriarchal. Um, and so being able to... The question of control is really about the question of who, which direction anyone can put a zombie towards, basically. Um, and if a certain element in the city can control the hordes, um, then they kind of, you know, it's, they kind of win the day. Um, and, yeah, who gets held accountable and for what, I find really interesting. Um, I mean... I find the dystopias in which zombies always exist particularly interesting. Like, in what ways um, are patriarchal values going to be even more studiously upheld in a post-apocalyptic society? Um, And I think that this question is played out in, you know, on the big screen all the time. Um, You know, we have... There's something I'm sort of obsessed with, like, apocalyptic movies where... um, there is, you know, the dad character who's very often played by, like, Dwayne Johnson or someone like that who, um, you know, um, he's not taking the divorce well. Um, the wife has, you know, run off with some dweeb in a suit um, and, you know, his kids are being brought up um, in a way that he doesn't really like. And then an apocalypse comes, like, you know, there's um, a typhoon or um, something of that nature and things are kind of um, usurped and we get the sense that, you know, real justice is served when Dwayne Johnson, for example, can by pure brute strength win back his family and prove what a hero he is. Um, On the other hand, I feel like when women write about dystopia, um, no matter whether it's, you know, zombie-led or vampires or whatever else you're having, it's really about trying to usurp those power structures. When Margaret Atwood is writing about dystopia, she's writing about... um, in what ways we can disrupt this sort of, you know, natural order. Um, so I find that really interesting. For me, the, the context is everything, I guess. Yeah. So something that might be interesting to the audience, but I should tell you about as, as someone entering the world of being a zombie novelist, is you will meet people who are, will be fans of your book who are into zombies, but they are into zombies because for them the idea of a zombie outbreak confirms their most terrible suspicions about how they ought to be acting. So I find this a lot uh, with, like, gun enthusiasts in the United States, people who have a basement full of firearms. And they they were into firearms first, but they love zombies because it reinforces the idea that it's it's sensible for me to have a basement full of shotguns and to go to the firing range every weekend because I'm I'm preparing for this thing that could very well happen. And I'll go to zombie conventions, and, and there will be vendors selling targets for firing ranges of zombies to shoot at with real, actual guns. And I, I, I don't have advice on how exactly to navigate yeah, and negotiate yeah. these people. And there, you'll also find it in the, 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 the world, the, the uh, Venn diagram of, of zombie will intersect with just, like, survivalists, people who have a basement not full of guns but also, like, canned goods yeah. and think all the time about their bug-out bag. I'm obsessed about this. First of all... I have a bug out bag and I find that horrifically embarrassing. I mean, I think, um, like, you know how you get method actors? I think I'm a method writer. Like, I got really into writing Last One's Left Alive. Like, I trained to kind of a competitive standard in kickboxing for four years. And, like, and then when the, when the novel was finished tonight, I just kind of stopped and lost interest. Like, I have camping gear under my, ba- under my bed that's kind of ready to go. Um, like, I, yeah, I started watching Preppers, you know, that um, Netflix show quite a lot. And, like, I totally agree. They were all. Uh, I think the kinds of guys generally that are prepping in this way aren't the kind of guys who will read a book by a woman necessarily, least of all a novel. Um, if, if you reinforce their worldview, they will be happy to. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I, I find that whole world deeply concerning. Um, but I mean, I, I suspect that in the same way um, a lot of us are sort of, you know, con- not concerned about the end of the world, but obsessed about the, the concept of the end of the world and the concept of um, the apocalypse I, I feel like, for me at least, it's the same... Like, I'm interested in zombies in the exact same way. 
Okay, I just um, if you would maybe just take a couple minutes to talk about why you chose scrake as a word, oh, sure. and then we'll take some questions and from the audience. Um, so my zombies are called scrakes. Um, I think it's a really tricky question when you're trying to write a fresh zombie novel of what to call the zombies. Um, so I don't speak Irish to my shame, but um, scrake is sort of a bastardization of the word scrake, which is the Irish for screech, which is sort of a derivation of the noise that they make. Um, so um, I wanted to sort of create something, um, a new word, basically, but also one that was particular to Ireland. Thank you. Any questions for the authors? Okay. Uh, I've got one for um, so, Sarah, I read an interview with you once where you spoke about uh, the apocalypse and you spoke about dystopias and why you're drawn to them. And you said that the good thing about them is that you, when you present them to people, everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, everybody kind of knows what, like, knows that it's, it's bad to live in a post-apocalyptic society or in a dystopian society. I was wondering if you could... Elaborate on that. Sure. So what I was thinking at the time, I guess, is that um, when you think about what a dystopia means, and that is, um, I guess, you can't trust in a sort of a higher power, whether that be a police or a health service or social services, to be a safety net or to look after you in any way. Like, actually, a lot of people have that already, um, particularly women, particularly women of color. I mean, especially in Ireland, um, you know, over the last decade, we've seen, we've gained for the first time a lot of rights that we haven't had before. Um, Gay people are allowed to marry now. Um, Women have bodily autonomy at last. But even still, we have this series of health scandals that are very particular to women's health um, that, you know, really show what the government thinks of us in a way. And it's kind of sad and brutal. Um, I think there's so so much of dystopia is sort of... um, adjacent to the feeling of growing up you know um you when you're a child you think well my parents can take care of this and then ideally grew up and you're like well you know the government has so much of this and I think so much of my interest in dystopia is the realization that the government doesn't have shit and you know we all better take care of ourselves frankly and uh, my question for Scott was uh, regarding the satire that you wore into the zombie in chief I haven't read zombie in chief yet Um, But uh, I'm wondering how much of the satire was informed by, uh, since you know who became uh, president, that there's all these people coming out of woodwork with this weird Aaron Sorkin-esque thing. Oh, you have to respect the office, like regardless of who's in it, and everyone else is going, come on. Well, yeah, I mean, um, American writers back to, like, at least that I have read, like, Gore Vidal and John Updike have been fighting about should the office of the president ever be respected for just being the office. Um, th- things, I guess, things to say that can kind of inform your question may sort of be an answer. So I, I, I wrote this book kind of quickly because at the time my publisher was like, we don't know how long this guy will be in office. Like they're talking about like this could, this could be over next week. So write, th- write this as fast as you can, Scott. Uh, but, um, you know, for, for me, the, the part of the, the horror in this uh, uh, book has been uh, and this is like sort of a spoiler, but I'm going to spoil it anyway, is that that as the, one of my sort of hero reporter characters is trying to find out, you know, what, what, what is the mystery with this candidate and, and could, could, could he be a zombie, uh, is that when maybe signs of his um, less-than-aliveness uh, begin to manifest, his base doesn't care. And I, I think something that I see now is, is so much journalism about the, the current uh, president is uh, that... They've got this new thing they've discovered. He did, aha, here it is, and his base doesn't care, and people don't care, and there's this, this feeling of, of what? Why? This was going to be the thing, and now it's out, but it's not the thing? Wasn't, what is the thing that we need? And this, this sort of uh, impotence uh, feeling that some folks in the United States have right now. Um, so I think I was writing about that some in terms of like maybe even if someone was revealed to be a zombie, would people care if, if he gives them this, this horrible red meat that they want, this horrible... Um, uh, view of the world that they want to have. So that answers your question. Yeah, I, I was struck, uh, Sarah, by what you were saying about our government um, kind of being revealed as like not so great or mm-hmm. doesn't really have our best intentions in mind. It, it takes me back to Harvey's kind of examination of Train to Busan and those moments in the film where like they're like, just just stay there, trust the government. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and then, you know, Scott, you've, you've kind of examined this guy who's sort of government now. But I, what's interesting to me, though, is to sort of think inside of that government kind of concept to sort of say that at the same time we consider ourselves our own government. We consider ourselves the voters of government or that is representative of us or that's our ideal. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, you tell me what you think, but um, that these moments where we now we have this zombie in chief or um, we are feeling stresses on our bodily autonomy mm -hmm. and so forth, we're kind of feeling right now that um, our own zombiness is revealed to us in the path that our government is taking. Mm -hmm. um, and so in its own way, the, it seems like apocalypse of some kind reveals these kind of layered, intersectional, sort of racialized and xenophobic subjectivities that we have. Um, that's scary. What do, you, what, do you, what do you feel? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. Um, I think... I was talking about, you know, these discoveries you make as you're growing up, and I think one of those is that it's generally, and I think this might be even more true in America than it is here, it's generally a certain class of people who governs um, and becomes president. They're wealthy, generally white, um, and I think um, the people that we vote for are kind of, because of the barriers to entry for politicians, they're only sort of an, the, the best approximation of our wants, and I feel that... Um, there's an absolute dissonance between what we'd really like to see in government, which um, we so rarely get, and, and what actually happens. So, I mean, I, I think there is a zombification to the system of government that's really problematic, and trying to get through um, the will of the people to, to action, for some reason it has seemed impossible. I, I loved in your book the, the, the specter of, of Phoenix City and, like, will they get there and will it be what they want it to be? And I, I think it's so many... Um, uh, zombie stories or stories in apocalypse. There's like like a, a, a rumor that there's there's one place that held out, and if we can just find yeah. it, and and your book does does such a good idea of that. But you also, if you've read uh, you know much literature, you know like oh there there could be something wrong with it. It may not be all that it is, right. all that we've heard. And and do do we keep that belief alive if we can just find this one place or do this one thing? And I, yeah. I thought you did that awesomely. That's very kind of you. I mean, I think. Community is the thing that we have to keep trying to build and trying to believe in, but you, you feel a bit jaded of it after a while. Um, it's really difficult to understand how a community is supposed to function well and supposed to um, really reflect the you know, diverse opinions um, and natures of its inhabitants. I'm not sure how we do that. Um, yeah, so I was, um, both of the novels sound great, and I'm going to be ordering them afterwards. Uh, but um, I was wondering, did Threads influence you at all? Threads? I haven't read it, I'm afraid. No, the, the, the TV. That is my answer to what's the scariest horror movie you've ever seen? And yeah. most Americans don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's, it's... Yeah. It was banned as soon as it came out. I think oh it, it was Channel 4 said, the government, there was someone that said that you yeah. can't show it again. Um, it was so remastered on Blu-ray. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. But it's genuinely terrifying. It's it's, it's what a, a uh, British miniseries about yeah. what a small-scale nuclear war would actually be oh, like. It's like when the wind blows. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, it's it's for, for me what what is so effective about it is is how just sort of banal it is. Well, this would happen, yeah. and then all these people would be dead, and this would be your life, and then these people die, and then the babies are all deformed, and we can't grow the food. So then we go, to, and it's just like, whoa! It's just really really well done. It's the, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's um, really terrifying, but their language is interesting because their language regresses as well quite a lot. I'm not sure. I think it might be on YouTube now. Possibly, but like Vimeo, I think has it. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I think it's 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 somewhere. But it's um, yeah, I think I think they're actually still not allowed to show it. But um, I remember reading Stuart Lee saying that like I don't know if you remember Skins that thing that was on that he said like that was a glamorized version, but Threads was much more of what it was like to grow up a nightmarish version of what it was like to grow up in the eighties with Thatcher. Um, but yeah, they kind of turn into sort of I don't know, they kind of zombify themselves a little bit. Maybe towards the end. I, I, for me, your, your question brings up the great idea of, of just sort of like what zombies have reflected decade by decade. Because I know in, in the 80s, alongside Threads, there were, you know, things like, like Day of the Dead, I think, is, is straight up, you know, militarism 
results in zombies. We're all living in subterranean bunkers, like. I don't know if I know. I haven't found it yet. Um, no, I, I mean, for, for me, I, I write about the the institutions and areas just because I, I think it would be it would be funny slash horrifying to see sort of like how they they do or don't survive the stress test of zombies. Um, if, if I find that one, I'll let you know. Yeah, but, maybe it's socialism. Like Possible to discuss any aspect of Irish society really with like without doing so under the um, umbrella of colonialism essentially that we've lived with, um, and I think that's so interesting that I don't know I I think it's difficult to um, to view ourselves as um, a society without looking at what the UK thinks of us and wondering whether we care about it. Um, and yeah, I think our sort of a place in the world is so much defined by our relationship to the UK. Um, I, yeah, I think it's very difficult to talk about our habits without wondering that. But yeah, I don't know how to answer the question, I guess. I, I want to know when someone does the great like Irish bog body zombie uh, novel, because that <laughs> would be terrifying. Well, there was a film that was made, but production was called to a halt. Um, it was actually made in where I went to school. They closed off my school for two days. It was called Bog Bodies, um, and Vinnie Jones was in it. And <laughs> <laughs> now, why didn't that go through? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I never got to meet Vinnie his, his double accent wasn't up to scratch, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it went straight to the bin, straight away. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> it does, but I think, I, think it, I think it was... I don't think it was ever released or something. Okay, well, there's no more questions. Um... Thank you for one very interesting talk, and, and thank you for being here Thanks and, and for having me. giving your insights. Thank you. Thank you.